After Jesus had said all these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as they told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My name is Jenny Seibel. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel, and it's really good to be with you here in church this morning. Welcome to church. Uh, this is a really important day in the life of the church. It's Palm Sunday, and um, the story that we just read is the story we read every year on this day, the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and these, all these people praising him and singing songs to him and uh, waving the palms and treating him like a king. Um, so that's what we do on this day. That's what we think about. What we notice today and this week is kind of a um, dual reality. That at the same time, at the height of Jesus' public ministry, his acceptance is at its highest. And also at the same time, this public betrayal begins. So he's like the most loved that he is by the most people in his whole life right now. And by Friday, we'll be here thinking about his death and how incredible that is, how fast we go from worshiping to betraying. So those are the things that we think about today. It's a very important and weighty day. This week is full of meaning. Every moment of this week, Holy Week, is holy. Um, we want you to join with us this week in kind of leaning in even more deeply into the story of, of Holy Week, of Jesus' life in this week. In no other part of Jesus' life do we have a moment-by-moment -moment account of the whole week of his life, uh, but we do here. So if you can join us in reading the daily office text, they're on our website um, we're just going to be like leaning into the story of Jesus together in reading those. Um, one of the ways I like to think about this week, and um, I'm not going to do yoga for you, but I thought about it, um, is, you know, when you're doing a yoga pose and you're already like holding it for a long time, you're uncomfortable, you're waiting for it to be over. Some of you are like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and then the instructor's like, okay, now go even deeper into that pose. And you're like, I couldn't possibly. Um, but then you try and you hold it and you're shaking and it's hard. That's what Holy Week's like. So for all of Lent, we lean in and we do this like deep, hard work. And then in Holy Week, I'm like, come a little closer. Like, go a little deeper. 
Um, that's what this week is about. So that's what I'm calling you to this week, what I'm calling myself to this week. If you've been fasting, great. You haven't been, this is your opportunity. Um, even if you have been fasting, you can give up a little more this week. And if you're like an all-star fasting person, you can join us on Friday. We'll be fasting um, until Sunday morning. You can wake up and eat all the donuts or whatever. Um, but on Friday, the day that we um, celebrate or think about the fact that Jesus died for us, um, that's the day we begin to kind of not eat anything if you're able to do that. So we invite you to join us this week in this kind of deep work together as a church. So the purpose of this day in particular, Palm Sunday for me, really every year is, is two things. And the first is um, to be acutely aware of the cost of my own sin. Um, this dual reality of me being um, someone who worships and loves Jesus on one hand and someone who's very fickle and probably willing to betray him and reject him when things get hard on the other. That's just the nature of being sinful people. And we witness that in its fullness on this day every year. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that we ought to enter into the mystery this week of the saving work of Jesus. We say every week in our communion liturgy, the mystery of our faith. What is it? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again, right? In this week, um, we admit that we don't know what that means. <laughs> we want to know more and more what that means. What does it mean that Jesus saved us? What does the cross really mean? And in order to do that, we have to really follow him there, be guided by him, sit close with him. So that's what we enter into this week and beginning today. So let's jump into the story, uh, starting with what's going on in this text historically. So every year, the Jews would gather to, they would pilgrimage to Jerusalem the week of Passover. Um, they would all come in droves, thousands and thousands of people coming to celebrate this moment in their history, if you remember, um, Passover in Exodus, when uh, the people were saved and ultimately liberated from captivity, uh, from slavery with Egypt. And obviously, as a subordinate people coming to a, like a big city in order to celebrate their freedom, this made their ruling power nervous. Rome. It made them very nervous. And rightfully so. There were insurrectionists in this group of people. There were people who wanted to overthrow the government. I'm sure I would have been one of them. Um, so I have no judgments. Um, so that's what's happening in this text is everyone's coming towards Jerusalem. And so what's happening too is that Rome is like, we've got to get this under control. So every year they would send someone to be very present in their power. And who is it this week? Pilate. Um, this pilot is sent. And so we have this really interesting image of coming from the West is uh, Pilate, you know, coming in all of his, his uh, powerful uh, glory of like chariots and armor and weaponry and scariness, you know, intimidation. We kind of have that procession, that entrance into Jerusalem. And then on the other hand, on, from, coming from the East, we have Jesus who's wearing like a regular guy's cloak and riding on a young donkey and coming down the mountain and moving his way into, into the city. So we have these two different kinds of peace. We have Pax Romana and Pax Christi. We have the peace of Rome that comes through domination and power by abiding by what Rome says. And then we have the peace of Jesus, which comes through the justice and mercy of God. 
So that's what is happening in the city. There's a really big things happening this week. And it's not the crowds of people in Jerusalem like there is watching Pilate come in, you know, being intimidated, um, watching him come in with all these, you know, all the glory of all of his people coming in power. For Jesus, it's the multitude of his disciples that's following him down the mountain, worshiping him and waving the palms and doing all the things. I think Luke does the best job of reminding us that the disciples weren't just 12 dudes. Did you guys know that? It's actually hundreds of people that ended up leaving everything and following Jesus during his ministry. Men and women alike, Luke also wants us to know. Rich women, which Luke also wants us to know, I think is cool. Worth saying any Sunday. Rich, rich women love Jesus, love to fund his ministry. Anybody out there? Yeah. So what I really like about Luke's Palm Sunday account um, is that it's similar to his Christmas story. If you remember a few months ago, we did an intro to Luke, and I told you Luke's an artist. He's, he's like a professional writer. He's the best storyteller of all the gospel writers. He uses really fancy Greek, um, really nice big words to describe the things that he's telling in the stories. It's like the most memorable stories in all the gospels are in this, this gospel, Luke's gospel. And he does that in this account, I think is so beautiful. So when Jesus is born, Luke tells us that the angels appeared and they sang, peace on, what is it? Earth. Yes, peace on earth. And then if you remember what I just read in the text, Jesus is riding in his colt, on his colt towards Jerusalem and the people look to the sky and they say, peace in heaven. So what's incredible about this scene is, this scene is we have this image of Jesus' birth and then him riding to his death. And these two moments of blessing happening, that heaven sings of peace on earth, and earth echoes back peace in heaven, and that's this mount, literal mountaintop moment. All throughout the Bible, the most important things happen on mountains, and this one is no, no exception, that there is like a, the, the, the beginning of peace in both heaven and on earth is being inaugurated in this moment with Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. These people are caught in this sort of crossfire of blessing in this moment. It's beautiful. That's kind of where you and I are today. And yet, Jesus is the only one here clearly who knows what the cost of peace is. It's going to cost him his life. The people don't know it, don't understand that, even though he's told them. And that's where Jesus is going. He knows that that's what this peace is going to cost the world, cost himself. And then we have such an incredible moment. I think one of the most human moments with Jesus that we get to see in the Gospels. It's actually not a part of the lectionary text for today, but I wanted to throw it in because I think it's really important. Um, they're making their way down the Mount of Olives, and Jesus pauses the journey. What's really incredible about this mountain in Jerusalem is that you get this like full panoramic view of the city of Jerusalem. So he's coming down this mountain. People are singing. They're having a wonderful time. And he catches this glimpse of the city. If you can put up the painting. This is a painting I found and I've been kind of meditating on this week. Um, you can see the city down below, how beautiful it looks. And Jesus stops in his tracks. He sees the city and he begins to weep. He gets off the donkey, looks at the city and begins to weep. And what does he say? He says, if you, even you, had recognized the things that make for peace. He begins to weep over the fact that we don't know what real peace looks like. 
And that even as we're inviting him down into the city, even as we are worshiping him and excited for him and ready for him to save us, singing songs about the fact that he will save us, we don't know what that means. We instinctually think it means success, power, victory, even happiness. But it really, peace means Jesus himself, the human person of Jesus. And he's the one who went to die on the cross, a shameful, terrible death. And so what does it mean for us that we're looking for peace in the ways that the world looks for peace? This week, today in particular, we're being invited to open our eyes to reality of the things that make for peace. It's not, it's not winning. It's not power. It's Jesus. It's the weak, the vulnerable, the things of the cross. And that's counterintuitive to us. And that's why we must follow Jesus all the way to the cross this week. We have to like exercise this thing in us to learn what real peace really looks like, to learn who it looks like. Because it looks like Jesus dying for us on the cross. So as Jesus is riding down the Mount of Olives, the disciples sing Psalm 118 which is one of the psalms that was always sung on the way into Jerusalem during Passover. So this was ritually done every year as people pilgrimage to this city. And the the most beautiful thing about this this moment, this day, is that they were singing it about the right person, about the person for whom they have been waiting for and singing it for all of those years before. So I'm going to read it again because I think it's really good and important to hear. I want you to imagine these disciples coming down this mountain with Jesus praising him, worshiping him, looking into the face of the one that they have been waiting for and praying for. The psalm says, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And one of the things I think about every year on Palm Sunday is that these people really think they know what they're singing about. They really think that they've got it. And maybe everybody else doesn't. And maybe they will at some point, but they know it. Everything that they're saying is true. That he will be rejected. Um, The stone that will be rejected will become the chief cornerstone. Those things are true. He will save them. The thing that they don't know is that it's them that that he's going to save. And it's not from the power of Rome. It's from themselves, from their own sin. That's the power of Jesus and what he's come to do. And I think all the time on this day, I don't know how true the things I really sing are 
things I really think are. I can, I can really try. You know, I lead communion up here most Sundays, and I say the most incredible things about Jesus' body and his blood. And some days it's like the curtain parts, you know, and I like see in a little bit more deeply than other, other weeks. It hits us more in other moments sometimes. This text always reminds me that how deep the waters of truth really are, you know, and how um, inclined we are to when we go down deeper into them and things become murky, we get scared and we kind of come back up. That's exactly what happens to these people who are following Jesus. They're saying like, we want the truth, we want the truth. And when the truth gets weird or scary, they're like, oh, we don't actually want the truth. And how inclined we are to do that to come up to something difficult and pull away from the Lord, pull away from God and what he's trying to do in us in our lives. We try to cling to those things that can be known and measured and seen, fully understood. So this week for you and for me is an invitation into the deep waters of truth. We can't fully understand what's happening in this week spiritually. We can try what we're doing, giving our lives for while we come to church every Sunday. It's an invitation into the mystery that is our faith to try to get it a little bit more this week than other weeks of the year. Jesus will save them. They think they know, but they don't totally know what that means for them. So here's to me the good news about Palm Sunday. They don't have to know what it means for it to work. They don't have to understand what they're saying, what they're singing in order for it to be true. Our actions do not determine what God is building. God is building what he will build. He will be who he will be. We can't deter him. Our failures are no match for the salvation of God. That's what this week tells us, this day tells us. Jesus knew everything and still went to the cross. He still let them praise him. I think about if I was Jesus coming down this mountain, all of these people were praising me. The only thing I'd want to do is is tell them to be quiet and say, y'all are going to betray me. Don't sing to me. And yet he lets it happen because he knows how little we are able to grasp the things of God and how much we need him to save us and do the work for us. He still went to the cross and he went not begrudgingly. He went with all the love and the conviction in his heart, weeping over us. That's why I want to include that part of the text. He's moved by us, by our plight as being human beings. And it moved him all the way to the cross. And as he's nailed to the cross in Luke's gospel, he reminds us that Jesus begs God to forgive the people who are nailing him to the cross because they don't understand. They don't fully get what it is that they're doing. He is for us, even when we are not for him. That is the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. He is for you, even when you can't be for him. Even when you pull away from him. Even when you think incorrect things about him. Even when you sin. Even when you feel ashamed. Even when you're in the dark place. There is nowhere that you can run from him. His love goes that far. That's what we celebrate this week. That's what we lean into this week. So follow Jesus to the cross this week. Thanks be to God for the cross. Amen? So we're going to take a minute now and um, update you uh, for a moment before we do communion on 
things that are going on in the life of the church. I'm going to invite up our senior warden, Eric, um, who is wonderful. I hope you all get to know him at some point. If you're wondering if that means he's um, maybe captain over a prison, that's not what senior warden means. Um, And in the Anglican church, our governing board is called a vestry, and the person who leads the vestry is called the senior warden, so that is his job. Um, And so we've invited him up to update you with some news um, from our bishop. Thanks, Jenny. Sorry. Apologies, I'm uh, fighting a battle with pollen, as many of you presumably are too, so pardon my voice. Um, but I do want to share an important update about the life of our church uh, with you. If you're a member here, you received an email about this on Friday afternoon, um, but wanted to read it out to the, uh, the congregation on Sunday. This is a letter from uh, one uh, of many of our trusted bishops, Bishop T.J. Johnson. Dear Emmanuel Church, Over the past nine months, a member of your lead pastor, Matthew's family, has been undergoing a medical crisis. This has been incredibly difficult for the entire family. Matthew's attempted to continue his role as usual, with the exception, as you might remember, of two short-term leaves of absence. But what's become abundantly clear is that now his family crisis requires that he takes an extended leave of absence. The increasing demands upon him, his parent and spouse, Matthew needs to be fully focused on the healing of his family. So the plan, effective immediately, places Matthew on compassion and stress leave for a minimum of six months. Effective immediately, the Reverend Jenny Seibel will become the interim lead pastor. These temporary leadership transitions are fully supported by Emmanuel's vestry, myself and the six others on the vestry. I've encouraged the church staff in my desire to support their leadership to keep in place their previously planned sabbaticals. Inappropriate leadership for Emmanuel is in place for their time away, as as Ginny will get into in a minute. Um, They will be on sabbatical as follows. Ginny will take time off very soon, from May 1st to June 5th. Beth will take time off during July, and Michael will arrange time off in the fall. Bishop Trevor Walters, which is probably an unfamiliar name to many of you, um, whom Bishop Todd is asked to care for, Church for the sake of other churches during a sabbatical will be available as a consultant to Ginny, Beth, and Micah in the vestry as well. Bishop Trevor will also lead the pastoral care for Matthew over these six months. We look forward truly to Matthew's return as lead pastor of Emmanuel, and in the meantime, we ask you for, his, for your prayers for his family and our entire Emmanuel church family. Grace and peace, Reverend Thomas Johnson, assisting bishop. So there are many things to say, and I'm sure many questions as well, Um, but for now, I will be brief. Um, And first and foremost, it's it's in times like this that I am so grateful that the foundation of the church in in Emmanuel, our church, is not a member of our leadership team, but Christ. That being said, those who have spent any amount of time here know how much Matthew means to this congregation. So please continue with us to pray for Matthew and his family in what is an incredibly difficult season. We love him dearly, we'll miss him immensely, and look forward to welcoming him back down the road. Thank you, everybody, for your continued faithfulness to this church during this time. I'm really grateful to serve at a church that is willing and able to support our leaders with generosity and care, and much of that is enabled by you all and your generosity. I understand this news may be difficult for some or even many of you, so our leadership team and members of our vestry as Jenny will, will point out in a minute, will be available to talk to you following both today's service, but certainly on an ongoing basis as well. So please come find us if you need to talk. Thank you. 
I'm sure this is really heavy news for all of you. It has been um, a heavy couple of weeks for us. Um, A longer leave has been part of the conversation for months for us, so we're not surprised by this. I want you to know we're we're not shocked or anxious. We feel really called in this season to lead this church. Um, And so I just am so grateful to the Lord for that. Um, I'm so grateful for our staff and our leadership team, uh, in particular, Beth and Micah, who are, um, you know, the reason this can happen. I want to say to you all that I love this church. I love serving this church. It's been the great like honor of my life to be with you all and to serve you and then to continue to be with you in this way for the next season of, of life here. I'm so, I'm so proud to be, um, to be here and be with you all. And I want you to know too that we love Matthew so much and um, we're going to be praying for him and holding space for him. And I'm asking you during this season, as you um, remember that he is on leave, would you pray for him and his family? If there haven't been reminders thus far that we need to be like on our knees begging Jesus for some relief for this family, um, let his leave be a reminder to you of that. Um, This kind of contending that we talked about last week, this is our time. We need to contend for him and for his family. Um, If you're a strategic-minded person, I want to love you by telling you a little bit of details (laughs) about what this will look like. Um, Beth and I were already planning to take sabbaticals this year. This is not out of the blue. Um, We've actually had it planned for seven years, as is how our policy works. And we've been working here for seven years this year, so we'll be going on sabbatical. Um, which I know is a strange time for me to say, I'm so glad to be your interim lead pastor and then almost immediately walk out the door (laughs) for five weeks. Um, But we already knew this would be um, a a difficult time, a difficult five weeks as the other priest in this parish and with Matthew kind of being in and out as he's been. So we actually prepared a lot for this um, before this decision was even made. Um, So we feel feel ready. And um, so what that's going to look like, if you remember our friend Rich Perez, who was here a few weeks ago, he'll be here twice during the month of May. And then he's also going to be with us a lot over the coming months to kind of help carry the preaching load for me, which I'm, I hope you're thrilled about because I'm thrilled about that. Um, and then also in the month of May, Ashley Matthews will be here. She'll preach to us one more time before she moves off to Arkansas to be, be in a church there. So I'm really grateful for that. Sad I won't be here. Um, and then the diocese will be sending us a priest to be here every Sunday with us while I'm out on leave. Um, and that's just someone who, you know, can represent the, the diocese for us, to us, can stand here up for prayer at the end of the services. And then also for um, the non-ordained preachers we'll have during that season, someone who can lead communion for us all. Um, so that's the support we're going to have during that month. And I just ask you to be with us, stay with us during that time. It's going to be really great. Um, I think the Lord really shows up in the times when, when we absolutely need him to, <laughs> which we're going to need during that month. You know, um, God loves it when we risk for him. So, um, so it's going to be really good. Um, this is bigger than any of us here, any of us on staff. This church is, it belongs to Jesus and um, I'm not afraid for it. And that's been the really beautiful thing about this whole conversation over the last couple of weeks, especially with Bishop Trevor. Um, he has no anxiety about sending Matthew away for six months, six plus months. No anxiety. 
because this church belongs to Jesus and he is the one who's sustaining it. Um, and so we feel really confident, really blessed to be with you all. There is no other church I would do this for. Um, and I mean that sincerely, no other church. Um, and so I'm just very grateful for you all. Love you very much. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.